welcome back to the Hoops Temple Podcast. Y'all know me, Nathan Schwartz. Joining me in Sacramento, Aaron Schroeder. It's me and my dog. What's the dog's name? This is Daisy. Daisy has Hi, anxiety Daisy. issues, but she stops her crying and she's gotten a little bit better with that, but she still likes to sit with me sometimes because my parents are not home and my brother has his door closed. And so she's got to be with somebody and I'm the only option. Makes sense. When my parents leave, if I have my door closed, like as they close the door, she will throw herself at my door with the force of a thousand suns, like just like bash into it, trying to kick it down. <laughs> my dog, Sasha, always tries to position herself in between me and my wife like if we're on the couch she wants to sit between us she doesn't want to sit on like the one side right now i'm in my office my wife's down in hers doing stuff so sasha is alternating between right outside my office door and the guest bedroom which is like located between the two of us so just (laughs) just bouncing back and forth well daisy's been a little bit of trouble because my mom well she likes to sit on people's laps, like in between people's legs, basically. My mom tore her ACL a couple weeks oh, ago. No. And so she's like, Daisy, stop. Like, so, you know, just have to jump it on my legs, basically. Um, Is that going to take her out for the rest of the uh, her, her women's pro-am season? You know, I don't think she's going to make a return. She did say she told me she was out for the year. She had some knee pain. And then, uh, you know, like the one wheels? Like yeah. the, and so my dad rides those around. My dad had already fallen off of it earlier like earlier in the year and broke in his collarbone and six ribs and so we decided that we should keep writing it so my mom was writing it and then she stepped off of it and tore her meniscus and her acl and sprained her knee dang is that that gonna violate the terms of service on her contract with uh with her team <laughs> with her program team um but we'll see she's she's in good shape she already is very active with yoga and whatnot and so her recovery should be speedier than the average uh 50 okay. year old okay. woman so i think she's in she's in a she's in good shape but it'll be a long road to recovery hope to see her back on the court hopefully she can keep up the jump shot keep cashing mm-hmm. them threes hope so well we're back here to discuss the top 251st through 275th player. Aaron, is there any part of your mind that thought we would ever make it this far? Of course. Absolutely. We did the first, I think we did the first 50 and I'm like, we're getting to 500. Like we're getting to 500. I know we're getting to 500. That, that was, that's been the, well, cause Slam Magazine has their top 500 and I'm like, I want a top 500. Like I want to do that. Cause at that point it's like, you can make a top 10 list. You can make a top 20 list. Find someone's top 500 list. I dare you. Five so fine yeah there it is five hundred greatest players of all time with some interesting picks a couple but I think they missed somebody I figure we always talk about this some Laker it's either Norm Nixon or Gail Goodrich yeah I, I can never remember which one because they're the same person in my mind they're it's, it's like the other guy for West or the other guy for Magic I've seen people do like top a thousand list but it's always like matrixes it's like yeah equations I don't think anyone on God's green earth has sat down. And taking the time we have to make a list like this. If it gets to 500. We'll get there. Um, all right. And I want to say this at the beginning of the podcast. I always say it at the end. And then I regret it. Email us. Hoopstemple at gmail.com. The sliver between these players. Very thin. If you have a good case for why someone we rank 260 could be better than someone we ranked 235. It's probable that we just missed something. Uh, I've appreciated several of the thoughtful responses we've gotten give us give us your takes give us your thoughts and i'd i'd love to love to hear them and reconsider this something we look at and reevaluate over the off season so please email us hoopstemple at gmail.com if you got a take please so we have five positions five nominations from each position those nominations are mookie blaylock for the point guards world be free for the shooting guards Andre Iguodala for the small forwards. The power forwards bring us Horace Grant. And the center is Vlade Divac, who we only did one center in the last portion. With the whole 25 guys, just a single center. But Vlade will probably get picked up pretty quickly here. Very strange to not talk about centers as much. The highest guy on my board left from last time around was World Be Free. I know it's, it's, it's empty stats. It's a lot of high volume counting with very little... Uh, winning attached to them but i just think that's where we're at at this list is someone who can get you 25 points per game for eight years even if the team is like a mid 30 win team we say good stats bad team but at this point it's hard to get good stats good stats are still an accomplishment from 77 all the way to 86 free is averaging 23 points and four assists on 46 percent shooting upwards of 29 points per game in 79 and 30 points per game in 80 so there, there is there is really great scoring years. Yeah. 
Uh, and I kind of went and looked year by year who his best teammate was. In 79, he's a 43-win team with Randy Smith on the 79 LA Clippers. Right? I don't didn't mark down if they were Clippers or LA at that time, but it's the Clippers. Was it San Diego? It probably was San, oh, Diego. San Diego. Yeah, San Diego. The next year, his best teammate is Freeman Williams. Do you have any Freeman Williams takes? I do not no. have a Freeman Williams take. No. <laughs> you want to talk about how his late Cavs tenure where he's averaging 25 plus? It's Roy Henson for two years. He's got... Cliff Robinson is the second best player in Cleveland one year. It's got old Scott Wedman. Like, I mean, probably the best guy he gets to play with is Bernard King pre Knicks tenure. And like, it's just, it's not a lot, but if we, are, are we comfortable locking him in at 251 then? Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Right. Even like in 1980, the Clippers win 35 games, which is pretty good for Clippers years. <laughs> it's pretty high for the Clippers. Yeah. And he's getting 30 a night. It kind of reminds me of like Bradley Beal where he's having these crazy scoring seasons. Well, the teams aren't great. I, I do respect the fact that they aren't like the worst team in the league, and they're definitely winning games because of Beal, because of Robbie Frey. Uh, with World off the court, or off the lists, that brings up Michael Red as our next highest shooting guard, sniper from Milwaukee. I don't want to go Michael Red yet. Do you have a nomination for 252? 252. I had, I had Horace Grant, one-time okay. All-Star four-time all-defense, four-time champ, and some real contributions to those titles. The, like the, the Bulls' first three-peat, and the, and the reason like they struggle to to win without, obviously without Michael, but like they struggle to win when Michael comes back in, in 95 is they really lack that presence inside that Grant brought them. In 91, 92, 93, it's 34 minutes a night, 39 minutes a night, 39 minutes a night. He's about 12 points, about eight rebounds. He's always out there. He's such a good defensive presence. He controls the glass on, on title teams. And those are playoff minutes and rebounds. Um, regular season, slightly fewer minutes, slightly higher rebounds, slightly lower stakes. Um, but from 91 to 94, we're talking 14 points and 10 boards. I had him as one of my next two. Uh, very similar case. I had him and Andre Iguodala. Iguodala, mm -hmm. si very similar case of like high-level impact to winning, being that bench guy off the Warriors. Um, I I'm interested because... I think you can make the case that Horace Grant is contributed more to winning in those seasons. Um, he played you know, a lot more. Iguodala's coming off the bench. But I think Iguodala also has that, like, he has the stretch where he is a higher level player, those early Philly years, um, kind of before moving off to Denver and then Golden State. Is is the higher contribution why you went with Grant first? Basically, yeah. I mean, it's, it, I think... In Grant's best years, you're you're looking like 39 minutes per game in the finals. Like he's always out there. Plus, he 42 minutes per game in the finals for Orlando. Like he goes straight from Chicago to another finals team. He is contributing more to winning than than Andre Iguodala. And at that point, like the Philly years, I'm not that interested. It's not going to sway me. Fair enough. All right. Uh, would you at least accept Iguodala as 253? I would, and he actually was my next guy. Perfect. Our savior from the aliens. 253, Horace Grant, 252. That introduces to our top of the list, David West for the power forward position and John Drew, the Hawk, to uh, our small forwards position. I'm not going to lie to you. I am very interested in just a run on power forwards. It was right here. I could see that being the case. You have some really great ones. Just My run on power forwards is I, I'd like to nominate David West just here. Um, long time contributions to winning. Multiple different eras. Um, where he's contributing that uh, Hornets team with him and Chris Paul and Tyson Chandler, you know, he is, he's arguably like the secondary scorer. Like, yeah, he's the second best player on those teams. It, it's him, Paul. I don't think Chandler's quite at the level that he gets to later. And then Peja is also like a little bit on the downward hill. Um, and they're making good playoff pushes. And then he gets to Indiana where he's more of like guy three or four behind Hibbert and Paul George but they're competing against the Cavs and he's playing big minutes. The Heat, um, the heat right? Playing like the Heat in the conference final? Yeah, I knew it was LeBron. It, it's against LeBron. Wait, One of those LeBron years. Who cares yeah. where LeBron is? It, it's it's LeBron. <laughs> he's competing against LeBron James, yeah, basically. Yeah, and then provides some serviceable benchments at the end of his career towards, towards the Golden State Warriors and picks up those two rings there. It, it's a not dissimilar to Andre Iguodala case. A little bit less of the rings and a little bit more of the pre-ring high-level play, but 
that that's my nomination. In my mind, it's him or Mookie Blaylock. Okay, let's do West. I was a big fan of West. I know you're a big Blaylock guy. And I'd be interested in the case there too. Yeah. Do you want to make a case for Blaylock? Do you want to? Do you like Zach Randolph, who is our new guy off the board? Zebo is pretty interesting. I think I do want to do Blaylock just because you get about 900 games, 13 years of elite playmaking, shooting, and defense. He's taking a ton of threes. He's hitting a lot of threes. It's inconsistent, but it's also the 90s. 2.3 steals per game for a career and two steal titles. Looking at his steals per game, it's the fifth highest average. He's 14th all-time in steals. I'm just going to read this. From 1991 on, he's sixth in steals per game, then fourth, then second, third, second, second, first, first, tenth, fifth, second. He's always just such a disruptive point of attack defender. And while his offense really struggles come playoff time, he's still playing 40 minutes a night. Like whether the team, they were right or they were wrong on this, they his teams wanted Blaylock out there the whole game for his passing and for his defense. Yeah, two-time all-defensive first team, four-time all-defensive second team. I, I, think, I think this is a really good case. Um, although, when you said that many games, I also just got to look. Zach Randolph is 1,100 games. Like We're starting to get, we're moving away from the peak guys. Um, no one no one at this point has a high enough peak, really. Yeah, I guess we got a couple of guys with a pretty high peak. But but we're not having guys whose peak makes a large enough impact in the league to to outweigh some of the longevity of some of these guys yeah. out here. Like I think Zebo is the right pick after that. Well, it's really interesting because once uh, Blaylock's off the board, we have James Silas as, or no, we have um, we have Mike Conley as our next point guard on the board, and so we can have a little bit of a Conley or Zebo. Who do we think contributes more? And I, I might be tempted to go Conley. I actually do kind of like Conley now that you mention it. The Utah days kind of set it apart. The thing about Zebo, it's like the first bit is Jailblazer stuff. He's not the numbers are there, but his Memphis days are so much better because he just he puts it together on how to be like a savvy veteran or just contribute to winning. Where he really struggled with off the court stuff and just those are some messy teams. And like he has his his Nick tenures, Nick days. Those teams are like the worst team in the entire league. And so the the, well the numbers are like man twenty and ten for for 13 years or something like he averages double figures from 2004 to 2018 a lot of that it has a, a, other layers to it that make it just less valuable mm-hmm. and kind of in the last episode i was talking about being a third guy for a championship team zebo is kind of more like a fourth guy because you got him mark Kirk, and mike conley and i think he's he's guy three out of them and they weren't able to win so i think you need to have another guy there which pushes him down to guy four and i think that's just just where the shifts are, it kind of where we're getting to is we're looking at the fourth best players on teams as opposed to the third best now. Um, and I think Mike is is really just the that Mike Mike is the second best player in Memphis as far as I'm concerned behind in Marcus All. Maybe a little bit less of a run on power forwards than I thought, but now I'm ready for the power forward run. Did we not just do that? No, no, we did. We did one power forward. I'm ready to talk. We did, about we did Weston. You want to talk about Twan? West. Uh, yeah, I want to talk about Juan. I want to talk about but uh, Oakley. Are we are we cool with ro- locking in Zach Randolph at two fifty seven? Mm-hmm. I had Conley two fifty six, Randolph two fifty seven, and uh, a little a little Anton Walker. You've always been a bigger Walker guy than me, but I've come around. I've come around. I think part of it's like his efficiency is so awful. But at the time, in like two thousand two, if you could get twenty points on any efficiency, it was like, dude, that's that's a pretty elite score. Like we're really really churning out some offense here uh, and and listen he put up a ton of threes not with great efficiency but at a volume that teams responded to and had to respect which did open up the floor and create some spacing for the rest of his teammates um there's a reason why boston goes to the Eastern conference finals with him and paul pierce and then his late career um contributions to winning he starts all 23 games for the 06 heat and is playing 37 and a half minutes a night. And think about spacing with Dwayne Wade and Shaq. I mean, that's those guys aren't aren't shooting at all. Yeah, you, you needed him out there. Um man, are, are we just in agreement then? Is is he 258? Yeah. 258. And then let's uh we'll talk about Oakley. God, we're gonna get all the way to 300 today. I think the Oakley case is very similar to the Horace Grant case. Um he doesn't win, but like you can't tell me that Oakley and Horace Grant are that dramatically different of players, right? 
No, that's crazy though. That oh, he has no rings. I just into, I, I associate him with winning championships, but just kind of misses it. Um, he leaves Chicago right be- right beforehand. The, the Knicks never get there, but this is gnarly longevity. This is crazy longevity, and like being tall and good at defense gets you really far like you're gonna play Mm -hmm. for as long as you'd like to oakley and and michael jordan play together in 2003 they're teammates on that team that's crazy um they're teammates in 86 they're teammates in 03 that is that's wild yeah with oakley like he the knicks are such a good defensive team some of the best defensive teams in the league with 94 93 like top 10 and a relative defensive rating and while they have Ewing and they have like Starks and stuff, so they have good defenders all around, and that's what it takes to have a top 10 defense of all time. Oakley is such a huge part of that. 1,200 games, almost 1,300 games of like 10 points and 10 rebounds. That's winning basketball. That's some guy you really want on your team. And while he never gets to the championship, like looking at his total playoff series played, it's it's 29, 29, and in 14 playoff series, when like he's always in the playoffs, always giving minutes to good teams. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, this is where we're at. Players in this tier are so similar that I don't think that there's a thing I could point to with Horace Grant and say, Horace Grant's ability to do X or Y set him so far apart from Oakley that if you flip the two, you're either not winning rings in Chicago or or, or anything else. Like, like I think they're that close. And Grant is is a little bit more of a switchable defender, um, which I think was really nice in Chicago's schemes, especially... The earlier years, um, he he is much more versatile than I think we give him credit for. Where he can guard some guards and some fives, like we don't think about it that much. I don't know that Oakley could ever do that, but yeah, Oak at uh, two fifty nine just makes perfect sense to me. We burned through ten guys real quick, so I'm just gonna read out what we did because that that was mm-hmm. the fastest I think we've ever moved through them. <laughs> two fifty one world be free, two fifty two Horace Grant. 250 can't do this reading out the name 251 yeah the number world and the be, name is still too much go ahead world be free horace grant andre iguodala david west mookie laylock mike conley zach randolph antoine walker charles oakley that leaves us with james silas as a point guard lade divak as our center michael red as our shooting guard john drew as our small forward and the next power forward up to bat is rudy Larusso. So great accolades, five-time All-Star, first team, first team All-Defense, but one All-Defensive selection. Let me check on, not second team All-Defense, but I believe that's the first year they had it, 69. It is. Yeah, it is. and so who and knows? And he retires really, year. really young. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. LaRusso has his best scoring season or his, his second best in his last year. He's 31. He's an all-star, 20 points, eight boards. And he's like, yeah, I'm done. I think I'm good. I mean, that was the era, though, that like if you wanted to like start a family, like, yeah, all right, like let's like, focus on I need to focus on my carpentry business and really make some real money. That was kind of the you got to you had to make that decision. Yeah. Well, he has a um, he has an interesting stint where he's traded from the Lakers in 67 to the Pistons, and he's like, nah, fuck, fuck that. I'm not moving to Detroit. Uh, I'm going to retire and do something else. And then he, the Pistons eventually say, all right, well, we'll sell your rights as a player to San Francisco. And when he was with the Lakers, he's like a consummate team player. He's behind in West and Baylor, and he's just like, yeah, this is what I want to do. I want to be a part of this team. I will care about winning. And then he gets to San Francisco and he's like, you guys all suck. Uh, I'm now the best player here. <laughs> and that's why you see that scoring you, spike at the end of the career. They're pretty good Warriors teams. Like his final year, they get to 41 wins. It's him and Jeff Mullins and Nate Thurman. Like they're out adults on this team. Like there is talent um, to go around. But are you ready for LaRusso? I had I had no, one guy ahead no. of him. Okay. Actually, I have, a, I have a, quite a few guys ahead of him. Well, sorry. I have more guys ahead of him, but I had one specifically in mind. Um, is it Vlade Divac time? Can we finally talk about a center? 110% Vlade Divac time. Let's go. With Vlade, you get over 1,100 games of 12 points, 8 boards, 3 assists. He just fit into winning basketball really well. Like centers that rebound well are just huge and defend the paint. But his passing really made me the Kings so much fun. Also like playing with magic and early, early on, like going to finals and stuff. And um, 
his shot blocking ability combined with his his passing made him not just an effective player but a lot of fun to play with like guys liked playing with vlade because mm-hmm. he got them involved he wasn't just a black hole of a center yeah those early kings or i mean the 2000s kings team ran like a variation of a high post princeton offense where you either put vlade or weber there and then you have a lot of screen actions guys cutting around him and it's like it's not dissimilar to what the Warriors do, where they'll they'll throw the ball to the high post and have Curry and Clay kind of cut around on the post. And now the Warriors are doing it to set up the guards. The Kings were doing it because their better passer were these big men. Um, not not to take anything away from Bibby or Jason Williams, but like that's just how the Kings' offense was: was get it to the big in this high post, back to the basket, not really looking to score, but looking to find the guy that gets open. And Vlade is a perfect piece for that. I think 260 is a really good placement for him. I think so too. Our next center is Alvin Adams, who I'm kind of interested in. I don't know if you're I interested kn- in him too. I know you love Alvin Adams. Um, I I'm do. not. I'm not too interested, but I'm also like... Are you really interested in the, the other guys? Yeah, that's that's what I'm kind of saying here. Is I, I think the drop-off, I hate to say it, but like... There's a drop off right after we finish with Julius Randle at 250. There's, I mean, maybe yeah. we'll be free at 251. We're now into like, hey, maybe we're you have one, now. We're maybe sickos. you have we're one, two star selections, <laughs> and if you do, it's probably very 50. You got any more than that? But like, yeah. we're into the the best non all stars and the, the like, the one time guys. Who's next highest on your board? It's Alvin Adams. I have Adams with with him. You're getting a very similar like Divac case. It's a good scoring center that can defend the rim and is a really good passer. That that first season, although it's weird that he peaks as a rookie, it's 19 points, 5.6 assists, nine boards with a steal and a half and a block and a half. But the biggest thing is they go to the finals that year. He's just crucial in that. Averages 23 points, 10 boards, and almost five assists in the finals. I think he's the only player left we could ever say in that finals, had his team won, he's the finals MVP. He would have been. He would have been for sure. And they go on to to make the conference finals in 79, um, again in 84, though it's a smaller role. But they, it's the same team for 13 years, and it's solid production. You see the playoff performances, finals performances. I'm all in. Yeah, they're a 50-win team for four seasons with them there. I did just want to say, Magic Johnson was a rookie who did win Finals MVP. So we, you said Alvin, Adam, you said Alvin Adams would would have been the only fi- only rookie to win Finals MVP. No, no, I'm saying at this point, this is the only player who it's a weird it's a weird requirement. But had their team won the Finals, yeah. he would have been fine. Like like we're not yeah. seeing big enough Finals performances from this caliber from player else. going forward. So um, I think that's as good a case as any that we have at this point here um there's some older guys that have really strong seasons um doug moe's coming up in the small forwards but that's super early aba stuff super early yeah if we lock him if we lock alvin adams in at 261 that brings up brooke lopez as our next center i don't love brooke next how do you feel about james silas i know he kind of free fell in our last episode where we bumped him back in the point guard rankings we're getting to 300 for sure for sure. Silas is my next guy just powering through this. Silas, it's it's two awesome ABA seasons as the league's falling apart in 75 and 76. Um, 26 points, like five assists, one and a half steals, but like top guard level stuff. He is all ABA team over um, over a very young George Gervin because he's, he's kind of the better spur. He's known as Mr. Late, Mr. Fourth Quarter. Uh, the snake captain late because he's the guy that just does it for you in the end really high field goal percentage for a small guard that is um it isn't shooting threes in this time period uh so like he, he's attacking the basket well we have the nba aba merger and he just gets a couple of really bad i, I want to say they were quad injuries but 77 and 78 he's playing 22 games 37 games and then he bounces back a bit at age 29 through age 31, where he's contributing to winning again and helps the team make the conference finals in mm-hmm. 79. I, I, you know, I, I think we have that high peak and then kind of two years of what if because of the injuries. And then we get to kind of see the, hey, if there weren't for the injuries, that's probably, that peak probably translates and he, he does well post, post it. So I, I like him yeah, here at 262. Absolutely. I think that's the right call. With him, it's a third place MVP finish in in 76 for the ABA. I forget who that's behind. I think it's behind, gotta be behind Dr. J and I forget the second guy. Is McGinnis? Was that the co-MVP year? I totally forget. Mm. 
No, McGinnis no, has jumped already. Yeah, let me grab those uh, shares here. It's a three-way tie, which mm. Irving gets 32 votes, Bobby Jones gets one vote, David Thompson gets one vote, <laughs> and James Silas gets one vote. That's good, though, right? That, that's that's company. It's first team on BA, and the one person was like, MVP James Silas. Put that's, it down. That's let me see the ballots here. Is this, yeah. uh, is this <laughs> that's the one San Antonio, San Antonio Chronicles? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think either way, Silas has a really great case to be a top five player in the APA that year. And, and there's a lot of talent in that league. So I think yes. uh, the high-end talent is good enough for that really matters. But our next point guard after Silas is Freddie Lewis, the three-time All-Star and three-time ABA champ with the Pacers. And you, you told me you were watching some Freddie Lewis highlights to, uh, to prepare for today. That's true. He had wanna... mean pull-up jumpers, man. They were taken... They were taking threes like the modern game. Like Lewis pulled a, pulled threes in the finals, like you'd see today. Um, I just I, I really see that translation to today's game. But me and translating to wins back then, taking like in '72, he took 1.3 threes a game. And at that point, like the three point line is is brand new to to everybody because the ABA is bringing this in. Um, it's his ability to space the floor and they're um. It's actually not brand the NBL. New. There's it's brand new enough for it's like, I mean, Freddie Lewis is born in he's born in 1943. So he didn't grow up with it is what I'm saying. Like, you know, to, to be like, OK, like we can shoot these now is, is a really different thing. Uh, so there's I, I found this out in the last six months. Um, I'm trying to remember what the league is, but it's like the um, it, it folded into the Eastern Basketball League, which folded into the Continental Basketball League, which eventually became the G League. But it was. It was a league that had an African-American owner in the 60s and invented the three ball and had like a bunch of bunch of like the top African-American talent that then like came into the NBA after a year or two. But it it was like the super progressive league that just got steamrolled old basically once uh, once like the NBA started accepting more African-American and players into it. Like once the kind of silent quota ended. Um, So I really wish I could remember the name name of the league, but it's. they had the three-point line like four years before or the ABA came into play. So I just I think that's interesting that it never gets credit for it. Uh, and also with it being such a a quote-unquote black league at the time, um, to have these African-American players in the highly uh, African-American ABA come in and then have these guys be like top three-point shooters. I, I don't know. I, just, I think that's an interesting correlation. That is that is some really in-depth analysis. I mean, it's just it's an but interesting man, historical tidbit. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think it's like that. That's that's some good stuff, really. Um, for Lewis, you have the seventy finals, averaging seventeen points and five boards. In the seventy-two finals, he's twenty-three points a game and and, and five assists. Seventy-three finals, nineteen points a game with five assists. These are all finals wins. He is in terms of like the Pacers pecking order. It's below Mel Daniels, below Roger Brown, below um, below George McGinnis in one of the years. McGinn, yeah. And then Nettolicky of the earlier years. So I'd say it's like, but the Pacers teams are, are pretty, the ABA is small. The Pacers are stacked. Lewis is that good though. Yeah. It's, it's always funny to kind of look at some of these guys and be like, man, could they have done it in the NBA? What would they have been if they'd stayed in the NBA? And like Lewis gets drafted in 66, plays 32 games uh, with Cincinnati in the NBA. Um, it's four points a game and then jumps, jumps to the ABA and is an instant sensation, an all-star and kind of really never looks back. Um, I don't quite know what to make of that. Is he your next guy? Is he the guy that you want to have for 263? He is my next guy. Yeah, think, he is my next guy. I think that fits. I think the thing with that, the NBA, ABA stuff, is like the ABA was very much like, roll out the red carpet for these guys. This is like, you can get your shots. They're trying to build a product where the NBA is like very old guard. Like, no, like, you got to break into our rotation. And, like, but with for Lewis, like, the, is Oscar on those teams? Uh, I can't imagine he's still there in 67. Is he there? No, yeah. Oscar's, yeah, there. Still Oscar's there. there until 69. Yeah. I mean, so it's like, you want to get minutes over Oscar, who plays like every minute of every game? Like, good luck, right? That's <laughs> never happening. And so it's the smart move for him to go to the Pacers, who they need a lead guard. And yeah, he is dead. And they, you know what? The Royals made a mistake. Yeah. And like, you know, the the ABA initially, not as good as the NBA. That 68 season, I would not say they are they are as good. But like by 72, where he's still an all-star, and by 75, I think the talent is is pretty close to even when we get to 75, 76. Um, 
And the other thing that gets under discussed is that the ABA stole the NBA's refs. Uh, they just started signing oh, yeah. away the top officials. And so then the NBA gets like these really crummy officials. And that's why you have all of the fighting in the seventies is like, people are like I, who, who is this ref? Like, I don't, I don't respect him or care about, but him, like they, they lost all control of the game. So the NBA gets to be a very ugly game as the ABA has this fluidity and like beauty of movement. Um, and I'm, I, we might be going a little bit too hipster and hyping up of the ABA, but <laughs> it, 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 no, it's good. I think it's the right call. I think you're right in the ABA had the NBA had a couple things going for it. They had depth. And they had centers. They had the yeah. best centers in the league, and they had more teams, more depth. Um, the ABA had, but by '75, like '76, the ABA actually had more of the top talent. There's less teams. There's less depth. But they had like guys like Dr. J. Looking at like my scale, which is always nice. Um, like '76, the top. Players like Kareem, Bob McAdoo, Cowens, Lanier, right? Centers, that's the NBA's thing. Mm-hmm. But looking at like the ABA, they had Dr. J, Artis Gilmore, David Thompson, Dan Issel. Billy Knight was really good in 77. They have Silas, Bobby Jones, Billy Paul to George Gervin, obviously was going to be awesome. Larry Keenan was going to be really good. You saw Don Boos win the 77 steal title and assist title, but he's in the ABA for this season. But also another guy, Marvin Barnes. Marvin Barnes is awesome. If he wasn't insane, <laughs> if he wasn't like fucking insane, that's another like really top guy. And like, that's another thing about the 70s is like, it's a weaker era, but a huge part of that is you had talent like Marvin Barnes do uh, too much cocaine. Yeah. Like, you just lost every, like, you had 10 stars, every 10th one had a drug problem. And that's a, that's a huge thing for Stern. Like, we, had, we haven't talked about John Drew yet, but he's our small four nomination, 86. He's the first guy suspended for life for, for cocaine abuse by start and so like that that's something to consider for that era are you ready to talk about john drew or who's your nomination for 264 260 uh 264 oh man we're way behind i had let me check that yeah 264 drew you're getting two all-star appearances you're getting 20 points a night for his whole career i i had a couple guys i liked carl braun but i wasn't sure what to do i kind of tossed like the old like the old school some uh some respect with braun he, he makes five all-star appearances after his two years in military service, after his three years of NBA play. And so I'm not really sure how many all-star teams he would have. He, he, he might have been seven-time all-star. He might have nabbed those because that's he leaves and then they make the all-star game. And then he comes back and he's an all-star. So I imagine he would have been that. Where did you have Braun? Um, I had Braun. So my next two guys, he's in my next two. I had Michael Red and then Carl Braun. Michael Red. Yeah, I... I think I just have a soft spot for Michael Red. I think he should have been in more. Um, he had the opportunity to jump to the Cavs and didn't take it. But he has just some just high level mercenary scoring in seasons. And at, at this point, I really want the production and from these guys. Uh, I think we know that Red could have been a number two or a number three somewhere. But from 04 to 08, it's t- basically 24 points per game as as like the only guy in Milwaukee for these years like he's he's kind of single i mean it's him and mo williams bogut bogut's there that's actually an interesting point is i actually think the bucks could have been one of the best teams in the eastern conference if Um, bogut had stayed healthy if if bogut and red were healthy but neither of them were healthy at the same time like by 2010 when bogut makes the lnba team red is toast he is completely cooked it's 18 games that season he played just 33 the year prior, and he's out of the league in two years. But let's say Bogut, because Bogut misses years, like destroying his entire arm, breaking his back, breaking his foot. Like he could not stay healthy. Let's say like 07, they're healthy at the same time. I think it's like a 50 win team. Yeah. But the 05 team, where it's him and Desmond Mason, not, uh, not, not going to be able to do it. Um, I, I don't know. I haven't thought too much about Bogut uh being being like a true superstar or if if healthy but I, you just look at the other michael red teams or like you know 06 their starting five is michael red tj ford bobby simmons jamal mcglore and andrew bogut does that inspire anything in you not much here's a stat in 2007 the bucks win 28 games just in total yeah when bogut and red played they won 22 22 and 24 record with them both, which is about 500, and then miserable without them. It's it's crazy because they played 
53 games and 66 games, the two of them, just kind of not overlapping that season. Um, but what I was going to say about the 06 year is they make the playoffs. Mm-hmm. A Jamal McGlure, a young, young uh, that rookie Aaron Bogut, or was he there the year before? That's Bogut's rookie Bogut's year. Bogut's 05, yeah. You know, Bobby Simmons, TJ Ford at 22 years old as the starter. Like, this team is being carried on the back of Michael Red, and, and we don't find that many guys in this kind of area that can get a team to the playoffs. So that's that's my general thoughts about Red. I, I'm not not sold on it. If you had someone you're passionate about, uh, I, I'd be happy to hear the case. I'm, I'm doing research. <laughs> um, okay, so really quickly, Bogut had a 3-17 and record without Red, and then Red had an 0-7 record without Bogut. And so, like, they just had to play together. Like, if they didn't play together, they were, I guess they were that's really missing their 3-20. and 20. Yeah, they're horrendous. And so, it speaks to the talent there. It makes sense. You've got one guy who can captain the defense in the middle and protect the paint. Mm. And you've got one guy who is basically the only person on this team that can score. And without either of them, you don't, you've got no one who's going to play your backline defense because Jamal Moulore is not good. I don't care that he's an all-star. <laughs> um and, and then you don't have anyone else that can score outside of Michael Red, so it, it tracks. Do you want John Drew or Red? That's kind of where I'm at. John Drew or Red? It's so close. Uh, Drew, ten seasons, averages twenty point eight points per game, seven boards, uh, makes the playoffs four out of eight times, uh, leads the team in win shares five times. Um, him and Jason Kidd hold the record for most turnovers in the game at fourteen. And he's nice. accused the league of rigging games against the Hawks because uh, they just weren't a draw. Also, okay. banned for cocaine. All right. Conspiracy Darius. theory? Maybe it's not the cocaine. Maybe it was the open oh. criticism of the league. Oh, little conspiracy theory stuff. For for Drew, he's 8th in points per game in 76 and 7th in 77. Then 12th, 12th, and 14th. He is one of the better scorers in the league. And he's playing games. Um, doesn't have the injury concerns that Red does. Let's do Drew first, honestly. Yeah, let's do that a little bit then... longer. Um, if we yeah. if we take Drew off the board, I I also kind of like to sneak Doug Mo in above Michael Red. But just to be honest with you, it is very early ABA time, and it's it's pretty brief. But Doug, um, he's twenty nine when the ABA starts. Three time All Star, just those first three years, he misses sixty two to sixty seven, so we can't really count it. But it. it it's blocked because those of gambling allegations that um, that shakedown that cost him, Connie Hawkins, and multiple others. I think Roger Brown was in there. I, I don't know. It's just he comes in. He's he's phenomenal. He's uh, he's in the MVP conversation in that first year. Second in MVP in '68. Gets a few votes in '69 and '70, but not really the major consideration. Leads the league in points that first year '68. I don't think anyone else has as high of a, a peak as Yeah, him. let's do that. So we have Doug Moe, 265, Red, 266. Sounds good. Um, that will introduce to the list Paul Seymour for the shooting guards. Classic 48 through 60 player. Uh, and then for the small forwards, we're jumping all the way down to Luol Dang. I don't plan on discussing Luol Dang today. I thought we were going to 300. All right. I might discuss Lou Waltang today. <laughs> we might. We might get there. <laughs> With that, I have Carl Braun next. It's it's an old guard, five-time all-star, two-time all-BAA slash NBA. He is consistently in the top 15 in points per game and assists per game. Three appearances in the top 10 for points per game, along with three appearances in the top 10 for assists per game. He's also very efficient in the top 15 for field goal percentage pretty often. So you have an efficient guard that could score, I could play make. Sounds great. One of my favorite things about doing all the research I've done on basketball in the 50s and like 40s and 50s is the draft was still a thing then. And you just, you'd start planning your season and like middle of December, like, oh, this guy got called into the draft and now has to serve two years. That that sucks. Mm. And it, it it would take guys off teams. And I'm trying to remember who the Celtic was in 51 that got, uh, they were like, nope, he's too tall. He can't go into the draft. And the Celtics were like, because his draft number got called. They're like, oh, no, we're <laughs> about to lose. Um, let me pull it up. It was their, uh, who was it? It's, it's like one of the historic guys. This year, maybe it was 52. Macaulay? Yes, it's McCulley. He got drafted mm. or um, like asked to ask to report. And then in their, uh, they're like, 
he goes and they do the physical and whatnot, and he's he's declared draft ineligible because he's over like a six six or six seven limit, and they're like, yes, all right, we don't lose McCauley. Just just a fun thing about fifties basketball. That's a very interesting wrinkle. That's why you gotta get the big men. Our, That's our- why they're valuable. They won't get drafted. <laughs> That's true. For our next point guard after Carl Braun is Norm Van Leer, the three-time All-Star, one-time All-NBA, and eight-time All-Defense, the best defensive guard you've never heard of. Storm eight is really Norman. impressive. That is, I don't know the exact numbers. I could find it, but I think it's in the top the top 10 for most All-Defensive selections. I'm pulling it up. Uh, I do it faster. Wow. This is a race? This is a race. He has eight, which is only 19 players. Only 19 players have done that. Screw you, Wikipedia. You'll only show me the players. With- Wait, Wikipedia? See, you don't even know how to get there. Uh, all right. All right. Um, I actually do kind of like the Storm Norman in case here. Uh, another name that I'm just kind of looking at it would be Brooke Lopez. Mm-hmm. Also, Rudy LaRusso. Do you, do you have someone else? Are, are you a Paul Seymour guy? No. No, I had I actually had I had Lopez next. Just really impressive longevity, and he's at first like a really good scoring big that is like the worst defensive big in the league, and then he just completely flips that around into this like three point shooting elite rim protector. Extends his career by six years, starting center on a finals team. I think it's really good. I think I like it. What do you think? I, I love it. I, I mean, I'm a loop. I'm a Lopez stand. The evolution. Stepping out, learning how to shoot threes. It makes me so mad that the Lakers in 2019 or the 2018 offseason, after having him on the roster and sign, like bringing in LeBron James, having the plans for LeBron, are like, eh, we don't need this big who can stretch the floor and hit threes. And he goes and signs Milwaukee for $3 million. That's like, that's like pennies in the NBA right now. Um, just, just makes me mad that. And we lost him. I, I think it's a good call here. I think there's contributions to winning. There's longevity. There is a peak where, like, you know, we were talking uh, the the previous episode about Glenn Robinson. It's like, eh, I mean, he provided you 20 points per game for nine years. Lopez is pretty close to that. What is he from 2010 to 2017? How many years is that? Four, five, six, seven, eight years? 19.5 points? Like, it's it's a great case. I almost wonder if we should have a little higher muted. I think it's a great case. The numbers in New Jersey and in Brooklyn are a little empty. Yeah, I, I remember I went and I found like uh, like Reddit, like not Reddit forums because uh, at the time it was just like basketball forums, like basketballforum.com. and people were just ripping it in to Brook Lopez. They're like, Brook Lopez is the worst center in the league. Like this guy is fucking terrible. And I think he he ended up figuring it out. But as like the lead guy, the issue is if if at the time, Lopez needed to be 20 and 10, but he was a miserable rebounder. Mm. Seven boards per game in New Jersey in 32 minutes a night. Like he, he really was a bad rebounder, and that, that kind of hard cap where the Nets were going to go. But nowadays, it's like, we'll get someone else to rebound. You just defend the rim and stretch the floor. It's, it's, it's less like you can have different guys doing different things and kind of finding different roles and Lopez doesn't have to be like the bruising center and it, it's much better for it. How, how much of a conscious basketball fan were you in 2010? I was not. Okay. So I was nine years old. The 2010 draft, the Nets, I forget if they had the best odds or if it was like this. Yeah. The Nets went 12 and 70 in that season and they had the best odds for the number one draft pick, which was going to be John Wall. That was also the year that LeBron and everyone had this space. And the Nets had just deleted their entire roster, basically. Everyone was a free agent, except for what was going to be Brooke Lopez and John Wall. And that was like the odds-on money favor when the offseason started for to sign two of, or if not three of, LeBron, Wade, and Bosch. And like I've I've always thought about how different all of those players' careers would have been if Brooklyn wins the lottery selects John Wall. Because like the moment they lose that lottery, everything shifts. And there it's like, yeah, we're not gonna go play in Brooklyn. But it was it was Jay-Z has bought this team. They're now gonna be the cool nets. They hadn't quite moved yet, had they? No, they're still New Jersey, but they were gonna move soon, I wanna say. Maybe yeah, twenty thirteen. They moved yeah, twenty thirteen moved to Brooklyn. And another huge piece is like when they make the Pierce and Garnett trade, Lopez getting injured is a huge reason mm-hmm. why that doesn't 
doesn't work out as well. And, out. and maybe that's different too. It's like healthy Lopez and that is a really good team. It's like, that's a team that can make the finals or something. Yeah. I just, I, I mean, can you imagine Lopez with Bosch, LeBron, Wade, and John Wall? Sounds great. Sounds like a really good team. It's and really that, that's team. that's the perfect spot for Lopez, though. It's like, can we be the, the fourth or the fifth guy? And him being the best player, I mean, that's why I talk about like the, oh, he was 20 and 10. It's like, really, it's like 18 and 8, and his team is the worst team in the league. So the yeah. next years, I won't get too caught up in, but let's do Lopez. And uh, that's 268, which brings in Rick Smith for our next center. Storm and Norman time? Sounds good to me. Storm and Norman. Norman leads the league in assists per game in 1971. He's the, the point guard that replaces Oscar Robertson in Cincinnati. Then he'd be traded to Chicago, makes a couple all-star teams. Um, you get about half his career tracking steals per game, and he just kicks it off with two per game, two per game, another season, two a night. He is this crazy point of attack defender that uh, facilitates the offense, much like guys who already talked about, like Mo Cheeks. And when he gets to Chicago, um, what's his first year in Chicago? Fifth or uh, 70... 72. That Chicago team uh, had won 51 games the prior year, but then they jump up to 57. And like they're a relatively new expansion team. It's him, it's Chet Walker. Um, is it Bob Love there? Is he coming in a little bit later? Yeah, it's Bob Love. Like that's a pretty quick establishment of a big three. And you've got kind of other guys to do. I mean, Chet's going to do the scoring, Bob's going to do the scoring. Uh, but you got a backcourt of Norm Van Leer and Jerry Sloan. Uh, and, and like everyone knows Jerry Sloan is the jazz coach, but Sloan also a six-time all-defensive player. Like that is one of just a, a monstrous backcourt right there to go up against. Um, I, I like the placement. I think it's good. And getting him off the board introduces us to good old Jason the Jet Terry. Although I saw on TikTok, he had a shooting competition with Kenny the Jet Smith for the nickname the Jet, and he lost it. So... I don't know that we can call him the Jet. Guess not. I guess it's it's Kenny Smith. Who we don't have. I don't think we have at all. Not yet. Not yet. I, there, there's still some better shooting guards out there. Point guards. Oh wait. Yeah. That's interesting. I have I have uh, Terry listed as a as a point guard, but it does say yeah, it's fine. He plays plenty of point guard. He plays plenty of point guard. I was thinking Kenny is a shooting guard, but no, you're right. Kenny is a point guard. Kenny's a point guard. What are the We've got Jason Terry as a, a point guard. It's fifty. It's fifty-one percent point guard, forty-seven percent shooting guard for his career. So we'll say point guard for this exercise. Uh, he's a point guard. He just had to play next to Jason Kidd. There, there are times when multiple okay. people play the same position, and they just end up on teams together. It's like Dejounte Murray and Trey Young right now. They're both point guards, but one of them is playing shooting guard. It, it's like when Chris Paul and Steph Curry play on the court at the same time. They're both point guards. It just it is what it is, folks. How did you feel about knocking off a couple of the older guys on the list? I think we're ready for Paul Seymour and Tom Gola. Sounds good. All right, you want to make the case for either of them? Let me see. Looking at Seymour, nineteen to fifty-five champ. He's an All Star that year. In the playoffs, he's averaging thirty-seven minutes a night with twelve points and seven assists, which for nineteen fifty-five is pretty dang high. Um, we talked earlier about how or maybe in the last episode, I forget, uh, about how the points per game in the 50s, mid-50s are closer to 70 a game, 80 a game. Teams just aren't scoring that much pre-shot clock. Even post-shot clock, it took a second for like the, the panic to set in and the pace to just become completely frenetic. But you're getting uh, three, ty- three all-star appearances, two all-NBA appearances. All-NBA is pretty hard to come by at this point. It's two second-team appearances in 54 and 55. Plus, you have his uh, NBL days he has one season in the nbl it's interesting how like the best reference counts the baa and it gives us the numbers but the nbl stats it doesn't give to us but that's that's another conversation but it's a pretty pretty long career 12 years from 48 to 60 you rarely see guys playing in the late 40s last until 1960 I mean, that's that's it's very rare i want to say he makes those all nba teams while it's still positionless yes yes he makes it in 54 and 55 it's still positionless which I, I personally love, I'm super excited that that's what we're getting back to. Because um, it's kind of, it really does say, hey, these are the best five players. These are, the, these are players six through 10. Maybe not necessarily in order, but uh, I feel a lot stronger about him having those than, than something else. Also, kind of just a wizard at the free throw shot. Like that 53 season, 53 in the playoffs, he shoots nine and a half free throw attempts per game and makes 95% of them. It, it is just a couple of games, but one of those games, you see the minutes played there? I did not. Up? I missed it. 
Okay. I went on to Tom Gola. I was looking. I was checking that out. Hit me with uh, Boston. It's 67 minutes. It's a quadruple overtime playoff game in which he is out there. I believe that's the whole time except for a minute. I'm not, not is that mistaken. the longest? The longest of the most minutes played in the game? I don't believe so because there is the five overtime game. I think someone gets gets a little bit more. But he's out there the whole time. Four overtimes. You want to know what the score was? Uh, it's probably 90 to 89. 105 to 111. Mm. But Most minutes in a game was Dale Ellis with 69. Nice. Yeah. How many minutes did he play? Uh, 67. 67. Was that a playoff game? It is. Quadruple overtime. Okay, that's why it's not. That's why it's not coming up. Playoff games are weirdly not kept track of. It's fine. Yeah, uh, I don't understand why we don't. All right, give us the Gola case. Tom Gola, Saint Gola, just considered one of the all-around players. There's a Philadelphia plays from 56 to 66. Five-time All-Star, one-time All-NBA in 58. He's a starter on the 56 championship team, but more of like the third guy, not quite in his prime as much. There's some quotes, and I, I forget what book I lifted this from, but many Philadelphians view Gola as the embodiment of basketball perfection, or nearly so. He was a local hero, their own Jack Armstrong, a defensive-focused guard, while Johnston and Arzen handled the scoring. This, I believe it was from Wilt62 kind of explaining who he was, because uh, him and Wilt beefed. He did not like Wilt's ball-dominantness, showmanness. Uh, he was he's everyone's granddad's favorite player and we don't ask that's why. a good thing to have gola averages above 10 boards per game three times and at six six for the shooting guard position it's pretty impressive he also led the league in triple doubles 1960 with nine finished with 20 on his career so the all-around stuff is very much there it's 11 points it's eight boards and four assists well uh yeah, well, Johnson handled the the, the heavy lifting, and, and Gola was kind of the dirty work guy, and they got a title out of it and some other good stuff. Yeah, uh, with those two shooting guards off of the board, that brings up Jeff Hornacek. But I'm I'm kind of ready to keep it a little bit older. Uh, are, are we at Rudy LaRusso time? I think so. I think it's time. It's been long enough. We talked about the Ivy Leaguer with muscles earlier. Kind of, he's with them in Minnesota, with the Lakers in Minnesota. Transitions to Los Angeles. God, I wish the Lakers had a better big man than him for a lot of that 60s period because the Lakers probably get a championship. Um, but he, he's their power forward. He's like a 13 and 10 type of guy. 13, you know, 17 point, 13 to 17 points, uh, to 8 to 10 boards. But it, he did kind of talk at one point about the, the expansion that happened in 68 and 69. Like if he had wanted to go to one of those bad teams like a Bob Love did, or like um, Bob Kaufman, he could have and been a 20 points per game score. We see him when he gets to San Francisco, got up to 20 points, but he really just cared about winning and being on a team that had a chance to win. So that's 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 my case for Ruluso. Locking him in at 271? 272. Who's 271? Gola. Gola, that's right. That's right. That's right. We just talked about him. Okay. Seymour, Gola, Take- LaRusso. All right. My next pick is our center. Ooh. It's Rick Smith's. Look, who's our next power forward? Next power forward is Vin Baker. Not a bad, not a bad, not a bad pick. I had to convince you of Baker on our power forwards list. I imagine you're not super excited about him, but I know you're a Smiths guy. I know you're excited for that. With with Smiths, I just want to know, like these Pacers teams have a ton of talent. And so his like, you're not going to see these dominant stats, but you're going to see playoff wins and uh and pretty solid production. For example, in the 1995 season, the Pacers win 52 games. Come playoff time, Smith is averaging 20 points a night, which is second behind Reggie Miller. And this is just really stacked Pacers teams with Reggie Miller, with Smith, with Mark Jackson, Dale Davis, Antonio Davis, Byron Scott. Like, there's plenty of talent on this team. It's why they're able to make the conference finals. But I think Smith is the second most important Pacer over these uh, over the Reggie Miller years, at least while they while they played together. Yeah. I think you're right about that. I think during the 90s, he's the second most important pacer. I don't love some of the playoff of numbers. So there's times where he's dropping um, and, and like Reggie just takes over the Pacers offense. But I guess he does also have 95 where they go. They make that deep conference finals run and he's averaging 20 and seven. He also has some really big games uh, in there. We, uh, I know I have them pulled up. I wasn't quite ready to talk about Smith's fits today. I uh, I thought we were going to have him kind of the start of next, the 76 through 30, but um, we, 
We can bring him up. Uh, all right. Where's my games list? All right. In 98, they go seven with the Bulls. Indiana wins game six by just three points. Rick Smith delivers 25 points on 11 for 12 shooting. Missed Reggie Miller, two for 13, just eight points. Now, Smith does have a bad game seven. Um, not going to try to sugarcoat that. Can't win them all. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, you know, there, there's a number of times where he'll have, like him and Reggie will kind of alternate good games. Uh, in 99, I mean, he's got a rough game five against, against the Bulls, uh, going four for 14. But then in game six, he goes nine for 18, 20 points, whereas Reggie is three for 18. Uh, rough night for Reggie. Is that against the Knicks in the conference finals? Yes, sorry. Uh, I've got his 99. Who is that? Not against. Let's see. 99. Yeah, it's against the Knicks. Yeah. You have 21 playoff series played in, a finals made, five conference finals appearances, 15 points a night and five boards. Definitely not the rebounder that you may have wanted, but they were able to get Dale Davis, Antonio Davis, the Davis brothers, to make up for that while Smith's kind of spaces the floor. That's part of why the Pacers are such a dangerous team. With Reggie, with Smith's, you had such a balanced offense, such like so many places they could attack from, getting to the basket Mm -hmm. or finding these guys like... um, Smith's on the perimeter and Reggie curling around the screens and stuff. And that, that's how they managed to pull off all these playoff runs. I want to say one of the things with Smith's is he is kind of their bailout option. Um, and like, that's the thing you kind of see with a guy like Kobe or a guy like Carmelo or even Jordan. When the offensive set doesn't work, you just give it to this guy and let him try to hit a tough shot. Pacers offense was let me run around and get Reggie Miller open. If Reggie's not open, let's hit Rick in the mid post and let him hit this, this tough fadeaway. And he does that fairly well. And he's, he's, you know, for a man shooting from the mid-range a lot, pretty good true shooting. I mean, we're looking at 55% true shooting on his career, above average for most of the years he's in the league. Are you sure you like him over Vin Baker? I, I had Jeff Hornacek, Vin Baker, and actually a few others in the power forward and shooting in guard uh, categories over him. Interesting. That's interesting. I, I do like Smiths. I feel like with Baker... I know I gave the Baker case because he is he has these all NBA selections. He has third third team and the second team, and at this point, it's mm-hmm. pretty hard to find. His his stats are really nice. When I mean, you're looking like twenty and ten, they run him into the ground and his knees fall apart. I could be talked into Baker just as like a, a more dominant force. They play at the same time, and Baker certainly is, is more well regarded in terms of accolades. But would you rather go Baker? I I just think peak wise. I I mean. What do you want to say? Rick Smith's best years are kind of in that, what do you want, uh, 95 to 98, uh, those Smith's best years. And then if you look at Baker, it's actually yeah. those same five years. And like over those five year stretch, Baker is it's 20 and 10 or 19.7 and 9.6. And I think Baker is just a higher level. Um, it's really hard to compare accolades because of how deep the center was. But I just think I think Vin is is a better player. I think we kind of see it um, in how much his team needed him, how much his team played him. Because the other thing with Smiths is like you had the Davis brothers, and there were just times you didn't need Rick Smiths as much. You'd rather have the screen setting bigs, and so there'd be you know, he's he's getting closer to thirty minutes a night. You work in and out, depending on what your need okay. is. Okay, so we'll go Baker at seventy three. Baker at seventy three. Do you have any interest in Antoine Jameson or Jeff Hornacek? I do like Hornacek. I do like Hornacek. I feel like his game just fit in so well as the, the perfect third guy. Like he's going to get you buckets. He can facilitate the offense, and you can see that in the conference finals he makes with uh, with Phoenix in '90 um, and in '89, and then his trips behind trips to the finals behind Stocks and Carmelo Malone as that third guy. Like you really see that 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 come to fruition and. He's not the first option. He's not. He doesn't have any like crazy scoring seasons. But I think he knew his role and played it credit incredibly well. Kind of mistake free basketball. I'm down for that. Do you like him above Smiths or? Because I can talk really. to the Smiths over him. All right, all right. Let's lock Smiths in at 274 then. Um, and, and how do we feel about Jeff as our 275? Is there anyone else that you feel passionately about? I mean, the names on the board: Jeff Bornisek, Antoine Jameson, Luol Deng, Jason Terry. And our next center, Billy Paltz. I do like Billy Paltz. And I think Paltz could be a nice option. Okay. With Paltz, you're getting four all-star appearances. You're getting a block title for the ABA. In the 1974 playoffs, they win the championship. He's 15 points. He's nine boards. But also, like, plays for a long time. Plays until 1985. Mm-hmm. 
that's 1100 games it's 15 years and part of the reason the 81 rockets make the finals is that tom janovich gets hurt and then paul steps in and steps up to 12 points tonight seven boards and it gives them like the added boost they need to to make this crazy finals run but statistically you're looking at like from 71 to 79 all with the spurs it's 15 points and it's 10 rebounds he played in a total of, of 27 playoff series and three finals in the 74 finals themselves he's 15 points and 10 boards in the 72 finals that they lose he's 19 points and 14 rebounds so you have some pretty good production there by my scale in the aba he's ninth and 76 eighth and 74 and 14th and 73 it's a good case i like it i'm just gonna tell you my my case for jeff hornacek i'm not upset going with billy pulse at all well because i've read the quotes the last couple times we've discussed him but basically everyone's like yeah i thought i was better than billy and then billy just just outworked me outsmarted me out hustled me um there's bob ryan talking about how Billy just threw around Dave Collins like he was nothing. And he's like, man, I, I dismissed the ABA without a hand. Like, and then Billy showed me I was wrong. Um, the Jeff Hornacek, like, like before he gets to Utah, they're, they alternate between the seventh best offense, fourth best offense, fourth best offense, seventh best offense. He gets there and they become the second best, second best, first best. Like he really does take them up a level. Um, from his fourth year on to the end of his career, he's hitting 41.2% of his threes. Just a really high efficiency three-point shooting. Now, there, there are some things that aren't great. Um, some pretty bad finals performances this is in the late part of his career. But he is also a 20 points per game score for a couple of years in Phoenix. Um, 109 career win shares. 1,313 true shooting added. Just like this, the scoring efficiency over the course of his career is really high and really good. I don't think anyone else has had that high since we talked about since Kiki Vandaway. So it's it's a lot of scoring. He receives All NBA votes in six seasons, although he's never named to the All NBA team. It's kind of funny because he's like never an All Star. He's gets one All Star appearance, I should say, but like that's kind of the midpoint of the season. And then as guys start to fall off, he's just he's consistent. He's always there. By my scale, Hornacek was 16th in '92 and 26th in '96. I really do like Hornacek because of what you said that secondary or tertiary scoring and playmaking behind Stockton Malone just completely unlocked those offenses. Those are some of the best offenses ever. They're not like flashy and run and gun. They're just like mm-hmm. Carl Malone pick and rolls to death. And it's really effective. It's why they're making the finals. And the West is no joke. I mean, it's, it's tough. It's tough. I feel like with Paltz, it's hard to differentiate what's going on between him and Dr. J and the Nets, because that's where he's coming from. Against like San Antonio... In the ABA, it's pretty good. Like you get the block title; it's a fifty-win team. They go head to head with Dr. J's Nets in the in the first round. Then he plays for forever. I will say with with Pulse, um, there is a decline in the NBA, but the decline in the NBA also happens um, kind of gradually. Like he gets in, goes from averaging sixteen points and ten boards in the last year of the ABA to fifteen points and eight boards the first year in the NBA. That's a that's a pretty small drop. The next year, he's basically right on par. Then as he hits 30, it starts to decline. So I think I think his NBA decline is uh, more gradual. I just I kind of see them both as the same type of NBA players, which is mm. like a, a high-level, high-value role player. Um, I don't think there's a wrong answer. Let's go with Pulse. Let's do it. All right. I think Pulse, the ABA, a little bit greater of historical longevity. And to have Bob Ryan, I'm going to actually pull up and read the exact quote because I, I really – Bob Ryan – just huge Celtics bias homer guy. Okay, so, you know, if he's going to talk about Billy being good, it's worthwhile. But um, he said, I considered Pulse to be just another, or a, or considered Pulse to be just another nobody ABA center. But he showed no respect for Cowens. He rebounded over him. He scored on Cowens. I saw that and said, what is this? I also started to wonder if I dismissed the ABA too quickly. That's, Bob Ryan has a fundamental shift in his how he views the ABA. Not because of George Gervin, not because of David Thompson, not because of Julie Serving, but because of Billy Pulse. I respect it. That's two seventy-five. Two seventy-five. All right, Aaron. Where can the people find you? Possible chairs on TikTok. Possible chairs on Twitter. You were right. trying to. You were trying to stop me. You wanted to read the list, didn't you? That. That's how we usually end these. No. no? Sure, I'll you read the list. You don't want to read this. Two fifty-one through two seventy-five. Two fifty-one. Two seventy-five. 
World Be Free, Horace Grant, Andre Godala, David West, Mookie Blaylock, Mike Conley, Zach Randolph, Anton Walker, Charles Oakley, 260 is Vlade Divac, then Alvin Adams, James Silas, Freddie Lewis, John Drew, Doug Moe, Michael Redd, Carl Braun, Brooke Lopez, Norm Van Leer, 270 is Paul Seymour, then Tom Gola, Rudy LaRusso, Vin Baker, Rick Smiths, and Billy Paltz. Excellent list. Now, where can people find you? Possible chairs on TikTok, possible chairs on Twitter or X, and this podcast all the time. Nate underscore Hoops Temple on TikTok. Also, email us, hoopstemple at gmail.com. Please, we need takes. Getting this deep is uh, kind of no man's land, a little bit of Wild West. Tell us what you think about the list.